Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Too bad. Doing too good. You're doing too good? Yeah. You're doing too good. Okay, yeah, cool. So today, uh, real quick, just uh, announcements. Um, today we're going to be reading chapter 11 from 1 Corinthians. Next week's going to be chapter 12, obviously. And also next week there's going to be a uh, neighborhood block party down in York, and we're going to be having a table there. And... Um, we're going to have some like kind of raffle giveaways and we're going to have some other stuff there to talk to people and some of the school supplies that we have from, uh, from, from uh, uh, what was it called? Engaged. Engaged. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to have some of that stuff there and uh, just have a presence within the neighborhood. And some of the people we spoke to today who are in the neighborhood, they're, they're going to be gone. It's a good unity to help bring, bring some unity to the neighborhood. So we're going to be there next week. And, um, I think I sent out a thing. If anybody has any ideas or wants to help out, please get a hold of me. And also, uh, Darlene, who's running the whole thing, she is looking for volunteers to help with certain things, such as serving food and things like that also. So I think there's something you might be interested, please let me know, and I'll handle it and or get you in touch with uh, Darlene and Charlie's raising his hand. What time is it? The time frame of that? 12 to 4. Um, so please keep that in mind if you're looking for something to do next Saturday, if you decide you want to come out, I think Darlene will really help it and that, as would we. Um, so any other announcements? Um, corporate gathering is July 2nd, Ruvino. Ruvino. Yep. 12-3. 12-3. All right. Anything else? All right. Uh, so today is going to be verse eleven or chapter eleven in Corinthians. I kind of want to want to start off the discussion a little bit differently today. In your opinions, obviously, these are our opinions. These are not. That's the great thing about this format of dis- discussing things. Would Paul be able to talk about things in 2022 that he did back then? Culturally, they were different today than we were then. I think a lot of this, though, you know, I read ahead, so I know, you know, it's just, in summary, it's, I think some of this is to show the hierarchy basically that I guess the old way of looking at the household see today you have many households it doesn't have a father it doesn't have a man at the household so then the woman becomes the high priest because she's the adult in the house and so it's one of those things where you know what what Paul gets here it's really quite I think I would look at it through the lens of culture not so much of, I think God would want you to pray to him at any stance. Would you think that, was Paul a, 
Imperial or a design wall guy? He started out as one and then flipped each other. <laughs> Why do you say that? Back when he was Saul, definitely an Imperial law guy. Then he had the whole experience on the road to Damascus, and then he, I don't know if it was so sudden, but he learned to be a design law guy. Okay. I think there's uh, <clears throat> I'm not sure where it's quoted but 13 years Paul went through a education process that took 13 years before he even started his ministry like when you start reading the book of Acts when he comes back into it so that whole re-education of, of him coming out of the imperial thing it's like a 13 year process can we, can we compare Paul with the Corinthian church current church of Corinth to well, go ahead, sir. Real quick on that other thing, you got. I look at it as more of a hybrid because you can't apply. You know, design law applies to everybody, but then your judgment on other people's actions and things. I think what you're seeing is Paul giving his honest opinion through the lens that he holds himself to. And so, when he's writing to these churches and addressing their issues, he's just calling out what he's seeing. But then he, when he gives any type of suggestion, understand that he holds himself to these standards. It's not that he's speaking out of one side of his mouth and then doing something else with his other. Okay. But I think his, his conversion experience stopped trying to enforce the will on other people, but more of just in these letters, just being honest, Frank. So, is, can we? Is it fair to compare? Because it seems like it seems like when you get Old Testament, New Testament, there's a lot of there could be some comparisons between how they share, you know, except different. You know, obviously, a thousand years, two thousand years difference. Is it fair to compare Paul to Moses, as Moses was with the people in the desert? With Paul saying, here's what, here's what I believe you should do, how you should do, and not do what do, whereas Moses was doing the same thing. With the Ten Commandments, here's what you should and shouldn't do. Well, remember Is there who, a comparison there that could be made? Remember who they were talking to. Moses was talking to a very uncivilized multitude of people and trying to show them the ways that to be, you know, seen, you know, basically prepare yourself to meet God kind of thing. Well, Paul is very much talking to, you know, Corinth, who back in the day was known to be quite low in the, you know, it was a commerce, big commerce place, and, you know, you didn't want to act like a Corinthian. You know, so it's it's like it was known for for bad behavior. And so he's trying to direct these people. And yes, you're not supposed to sleep with each other. Yes, you're not supposed to do this, you know. And, you know, and looking at it through a lens of, of a people who have been close to God for a long time. Because being raised a, you know, a... a where, he, where he was, he was a Sadducee. I mean, I, I mean, sorry, a Pharisee. 
you know, in order to make it to that realm, you were highly educated. You could quote the Bible, the first part of the Bible, pretty much verbatim. And so you're talking to people who have been close to God for a long time, giving their suggestions. And that's what Paul is doing to the church of Corinth. All right. Anybody got any other comments on that? All right, so um, it's like I brought a library with me. Charlie's got his library with him. And, you know, different versions of the readings. Um, so what I, uh, does anything, you know, so starting off with the beginning of the Corinthians, uh, the chapter 11, Anybody want to start off reading and pick a version and start reading? Up to the fourth verse. First Corinthians 11 to the first fourth verse? Yes. Yeah. And I don't know what book this is because it doesn't say Bible-wise. That's the one we've been studying out of. Yeah, stick to the CSB scripture. All right, stick to this one? That's why I handed it to you. Oh, all right. Instructions about head coverings. Now, wait, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold fast to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. Every man who prays or prophecies with something on his head dishonors his God. Go ahead. Yeah, just keep, keep reading. Okay. Every woman who prays or prophecies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since that is one and the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman doesn't cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her head be covered. Should I keep going? That's, that's cool for right at the moment. Okay. Um, we got one out of that, <laughs> you know, um, you know, cause I looked at some of the different thing, uh, this in the, in the, let's like I said, I got a handful of books here, um, in the, uh, Messiah passion. I mean, I'm sorry. Um, any man who verse number four. For uh, either my eyes are bad or this print's really small. Any man who leads public worship and prays or prophesies with a shawl hanging down over his head shows disrespect to his head, which is Christ. Now, that line there, do you think that's in a direct... That, that line's there purpose, directly to be opposite of what the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the priests of the Jewish church, for lack of a better term, was it to be opposite of them? Because remember, they all wore the, the garments over their heads and so forth, or the shawls and the 
when they were doing their thing. I think all of this is just basically saying you need to take extra steps to be reverent when you're talking to God. Covering your head, it has no significance in our culture today. Back in those days, it's a respect thing. You know, it's, it's, you know, I, I don't, I just don't know how that would apply to today's church. Well, it was real ironic when I was in Israel. Every time we walked to, to a church, the our tour guide made mention, you know, if you're wearing a baseball cap, please remove your hat before walking into the church. But when we went to the Western Wall, and we all wrote a note, a prayer to put in the mm-hmm. Western Wall, well, men, men, you can wear a baseball cap or please grab a yarmulke prior to walking into the area to go pray at the Western Wall. So it's kind of, that's why I was kind of bringing that up. Is it a, to disassociate from back then? That's why I was asking a question like that. Because, mm-hmm. um, I mean, obviously we, again, you brought up something really important in the beginning is the culture. This is 2000 years ago and Christianity was still very, in, in absolute infancy. How much younger was Christianity than when Paul wrote these letters to Corinth? 20 years? I mean, what was the time frame? You know, I don't I don't know off the top of my head. Charlie? Um, do you yeah, know the time I, frame? I don't. It, you know, you're in the beginning stages of stuff, for sure. Within within 20 years, I would speculate. So I would disagree in, in one sense about, you know, so what happens when you go to a baseball game or whatever, right, and they play the national or sing the national anthem, what do you do? What, I mean, what should you do if you were a man wearing a baseball cap or a hat like that? You take it off and put it over your chest. Right. So, like, you know what I mean? Like, it, it, in that instance, even in our culture today, there is some level of disrespect if you have a hat on um, in, in those situations. So, like, to say that it doesn't you know, we can't find some, you know, common ground or, you know, whatever he's trying to <laughs> share at this point. Like, there's some, still some of that in our culture today in certain things. I mean, I mean, first respect issue. Men used to wear, when men used to wear hats everywhere, and, and women, actually, they all did, but men were always expected to take their hat off in church. The well, women did not. Inside, anywhere you'd have to take off your hat. No, but I, I'm thinking like the 40s where everybody was, right, you know. Well, even to this day, uh, even to this day, there are certain church people who go to certain churches, they make sure they have their Easter hat. They have mm-hmm. a hat that's to the nines on Easter Sunday. Go ahead, Charlie. I think there's an interesting concept here that we're, that for me, <clears throat> um, He's talking about exchanging roles. And, you know, he's, you know, Paul's describing, again, you know, we've talked about this a lot in our discussions, but the Corinth church, we've, we've talked about it a lot. We've made comparisons to like Las Vegas. That's what, that's what the city of Corinth was like. And so, you know, I personally, he's not, he's not 
talking about, you know, women shaving their heads and all this kind of stuff because it's a Jewish tradition or it's, you know, not contextual to the time or anything like that. It's specifically because that's what the pagan prostitutes of the priests and temples did. They would shave their heads. They would all this kind of thing. And so he's, he's bringing, he's addressing it in that way, trying to call them out of that system. But further down, you know, verse 10 on down to 16, he's talking about a woman has long hair for her glory and a man has short hair. Why would a man grow his hair long like a woman? And why would a woman shave her head like a man? He's talking about changing roles. He's talking about a man trying to be a woman and a woman trying to be a man. That's what I read in this. It's not about, it, it's, it's about living, what, I, what I'm hearing Paul say, it's about living as God designed you to live and, um, you know, as, 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 you know, as you're designed, as you're created, as you're meant to be. You know, for me, that's just what I hear him saying. And so, um, and so, yeah, and the, and then the, the other piece I'm getting out of this is first, um, I don't remember if it's 13 or not, but where he talks about, you know, there's the hierarchy, doesn't, you know, man system is like, well, I'm the man of the house. I can do whatever I want, you know? And I was just talking to a friend of mine last Sunday where he was like, that. yeah, man of the house, I can do what I want. Yeah, if you're not a Christ-centered home. Because in a Christ-centered home, it's equal. I mean, the Bible's very clear about it. Ephesians 5, 28, I think it says, Husbands, love your wives. It's Christ, love the church. Love your wives as you love your own body. Like, there's there's, a, there's an equality there. Um, and so I think he's also talking about that too. Verse 12, he talks about how, you know, for as woman is of the man, even so is the man is also by the woman. There you go. Thank you. Thank but you. all things of God. Thank you. Yeah, he's he's making that point of saying, you know, in 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 the city of Corinth, in the sinful, selfish world, you do life this way. But once you're converted, and Christ is now your focus, um, I think the NS the NASB words it in a way that I really like. It was verse eleven. However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. But I like how the NASB words it, in the Lord. So he's making that distinction. If you're not in the Lord, yeah, it makes sense. You know, man's superior, that's a selfish way. Me first, violence this, strong rules the weak, blah, 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 blah. But in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. There's an equality there. So in other words, you both have roles to play, and when you live your life within them, and you're not exchanging them, and you're not distorting it, then you are revealing who God is in this coupleship. That's what I hear out of all that Paul's saying right there, personally. I think it's really the whole chapter is about taking God seriously. And in the last half of it, as we're going to get to, when it's talking about, you know, taking out communion. It's, you want to be of the right heart. 
I want to go up to verse 17. Again, I, I find Paul to be definitely, you know, he's he wants so much for everybody to be right with God. Is that the right word, the right way to put it? And I think he's very frustrated um, that people are not doing everything that he believes is the best way to do for God. So, like verse 17, um, I'll read for a little bit. Now, I'm giving this instruction, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, I bear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and I, and in part, I believe it. Indeed, it is necessary that there be factions among you, so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. When you come together, then it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. For at the meal, each one eats his own supper. So, so one person is hungry while another gets drunk. Well, you have homes in which to eat and drink. Do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you in this matter. Um, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm confused through this. Let's keep reading. Read down to verse 25. For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. On the night when he was the betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also, in the same way, also, he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it and remember it's me for as often as you eat this bread and drink a cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes so I think if for me when we read the whole thing like that it kind of gives a little bit better context or more versus like stopping halfway through it because he makes this point I think for me you know, Paul's making a comparison with how Jesus acted when he was betrayed in the face of, you know, sheer selfishness, because that's what betrayal is. And so when he's talking about what's your motivation for coming to the Lord's Supper? Are you coming there because you're hungry and you want to eat? Are you coming there to internalize Christ and learn something about Christ. Basically, go through that heart change process. So, he, he's, he's making this point that's saying some people are coming to the Lord's Supper and to eat at church and to come to church with all the wrong motive. Mm -hmm. All the wrong motive. All the wrong mindset. They're not actually there to serve others and to give as, see, we find in verse 23 and 24. 25, like how Jesus gave and served in the face of really selfish, you know, Judas betrayal. People are coming there to get their own. And, I, and I, for me, I see that's what he's, he's kind of bringing out mm -hmm. in that passage, is saying I'm not going to praise you, because yeah, like, I'm coming to church. Yeah, but why? Ah, it's a 
say that. There was years ago, so the story reminded me, years ago, we were at a church, um, and there was a person who would come to church only on days that they served potluck. That's the only time you come to church, was when they had the meals afterward. And so, a situation like that, like, what does that reveal? You know, what does that reveal about that person, you know? So clearly, he's not there to partake and serve and give and enjoy the growth. He's there to get a free meal. He's there to get a free meal. That's what I get out of all that. You got anything? Oh yeah, yeah. All right. So, I guess the last part then kind of brings it, wraps it up in the self-examination. So that whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself in this way to let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. If we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, Welcome one another. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you gather together, you will not come under, under judgment. I will give instructions about the other matters whenever I come. Whenever I come. So, um, I, when I read that, I, I found that to be kind of interesting. Just you know, it's just like Charlie said, it sums it up. Just you know, when you come together to have a meal, do it for a common purpose instead of just your own. You know, if you feel, you know. But but we do offer a meal for nourishment and so forth and so on. So I'm kind of I get a little I get a little stuck there too. Um, so when you know when we're doing engaged, a lot of people came for the meal and they were gone. So were they wrong for doing what they did? I think that's the growth. Um, at their need at that level was the nourishment you know coming in and getting that and at some point if they wanted a relationship with God they would have to make more effort you know change some things you know stay, stay for the sermon or the service or by choice Clearly, not not anyone forcing you. It's 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 all by choice, and that's for them. What they needed was that nourishment, and I think God sees that, and you know blesses them for that because you know they they didn't have it. You know what I mean? I, I he sees us all very differently. Um, other people that you know maybe came in and 
they didn't need the nourishment. I can remember one guy in Forensis who would come in, he came for the company. Mm. He'd sit and eat for the company of the people. And it, you know, if you want to compare the two, was that wrong? Because he came for the company, you know, and not necessarily even want anything else. You know what I mean? It, it's what he needed at that time and that point. I don't know. I guess that's how I see it. <clears throat> And I think by doing that, we're actually fulfilling our mission to, because a lot of those people, they're homeless, you know, and I guess God, through us, put uh, some sort of relief for them, for them to eat, you know, because eventually it's up to them to have a relationship with God. We just, you know... Um, supplying some relief, some hunger relief, you know, which pretty much was our ministry. Also, you know, ministering, you know, to God, you know, for, for them to to know God. And we know a lot of the people that, you know, are still with us from downtown because of what we did down there in Philadelphia Street. So, I just see it as everybody's welcome. You know what I'm saying? And we actually some fulfill some needs for those people in there. So I think if we were to to deny them food unless they you know, stayed for church, not that that's what you suggested, but if that's what we did, that would be almost like that'd be the same as God withholding blessings from uh, people who don't know him. So Paul, in this in this situation, he's not talking about potluck or a ministry that serves a meal. He's talking specifically about the Lord's Supper that Jesus had with the disciples yeah. in the mm-hmm. upper room, yeah. specifically. Mm-hmm. And so, <clears> breaking <throat> of the bread, drinking of the wine, do this room, to me, the communion service specifically, not not any other kind of meal ministry. And so, you know, he's talking about, you know, reading the whole chapter, kind of like a bigger picture. You know, I see Paul talking about from the head coverings from you know men and women exchanging roles to you know being disrespectful and selfish in me first during the Lord's Supper to you know kind of tying it all up with self-examination during the last part of the chapter he, he's, he's basically trying to paint this picture that says you know for me what I see he's comparing before Christ this was the normal way to behave. You did what you want. You're driven by your passions and desires. You were me first. You didn't care. But in the Lord, then act like you're in the Lord. Because if you don't, then you are misrepresenting. You are, you're, you're saying by your actions, God is like this, but you're acting totally different. And so for me, that's where I see him kind of wrapping the whole thing up together. Um, and specifically, the Lord's Supper, when Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, the whole point of the Lord's Supper is symbolic of ingesting the truth about God by eating the bread and the wine, which is symbolic of the blood, which is cleansing of our hearts and minds. But that's the whole symbolic aspect of it. And so it's very others-focused, the whole point of it. There's, there's, no, there's no me first or or self-oriented aspect of it at all. 
And so he's, you know, he's basically saying that if you're, if you're coming to the Lord's Supper with a selfish motivated, then he's saying, I, you know, there's no part in this. I mean, just think about it. You're sitting there, you're at communion, and you break off a piece of bread, and they pour you something in the, into a cup. <clears throat> if you're hungry, you're going to take a big chunk of bread, and you're going to ask them for more wine. Is that reverent? Is it what you're about to do? I mean, it's it's like you're you're actually partic you're you're partaking of a service, the Lord's Supper, in remembrance of Christ's life and in crucifixion and sacrifice for us, being his being our substitute for our what we justly deserve for our sin. And you know, and not taking that seriously and just hungrily coming and grabbing for bread and wine. Is that why it says eat at home? Yes. So that you're not focused on the hunger during communion? Yes. Yes. Come fully satisfied. That's a good point. So, my question is on verse 21. Um, not 20, right before it says, When you come together, then, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Right? So, that's what he's saying that they're doing at that point, right? They're not coming for that purpose, um, even though they should be. He said, for at the meal, each one eats his own supper, right? So, to me, and then further down, it says, oh, don't you have as much to eat? It says, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? So, it seems to me that these people were coming there, bringing their food, right, eating what they brought, and then those people who had nothing, right, were there and were still hungry. So, you know, each one was eating his own supper and they weren't sharing and they they weren't there in the spirit of sharing at actual you know the intended purpose of the Lord's Supper at that point they were the, just there to eat and get full and, and move on you know in the actual sense of what was happening so he's still kind of like exposing the whole selfish motivated Motivation. Yeah, but like the actual, what was actually physically happening in that situation. Right. But in the motive, obviously. Because, like, I mean, the whole the whole letter of First Corinthians is Paul writing to the church of Corinth because the church itself they weren't they weren't doing well. Like as a whole, the church they were getting drunk, they're exchanging natural for the unnatural. I mean, they're they're just being a rowdy bunch of people. And so, like, he's he's trying to give them some good principles to kind of line them out. So, you know, when you, when you read this, you can't look at it like he's writing to people who are mature. Because they're very much not mature. Maybe that's not quite the right word, because you can be, you can have the right heart motive and, and not be mature. It's all circumstantial. I lived in Las Vegas. <laughs> I like verse 27. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. 
blessing to get a curse. Let a person examine himself in this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. To me, I like that because it talks about it's self-diagnosis. If your heart isn't in the right place, then ultimately who are you damaging yourself? You're hardening your own heart, you're searing your own conscience, you're making it harder and harder for you to be receptive to the Holy Spirit's leading. Yeah. Kind of throws that free will out there too. Absolutely. Anybody got any final comments on this? Yeah. Um, there was a part that said something about, uh, said something like that. This is why some of you are unwell. Mm -hmm. Anybody remember what verse that was? Yeah, it's at the end. Um, 30, 30, verse yeah, 30. Yeah, I just, I'd like to know what you guys think of that. Don't you want someone to read it? It says, for those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are sick and weak, and a number of you have fallen asleep. My, my first thought is, I think of it as more of a, uh, not an actual, you are sick and ill, and you have fallen asleep. It's more like you have falling asleep on the word not you know you mean thing you have things you or, need to or, or, and if you're sick and ill it's more like your thoughts are they're not in the word do you know what i mean yeah not that you're phys just because you you not thinking clearly no because you didn't partake of it in the right way that you are sick and ill someone could look at that literally and think, oh, well, you're going to be sick and ill if you don't partake in this, right? It's more like your your belief system or, or, or something in that. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but it's not coming out. It's, <laughs> it's symbolic. Yeah. He's speaking symbolically. It's like, spe he's speaking symbolically yeah. for sure. So denying of the Holy Spirit long enough, you're so... The unpardonable sin it talks about in the Gospels, if you deny the Holy Spirit long enough, your mind becomes dead to the, to receiving the Holy Spirit. So therefore, you can you can still come to church because it's a way of life, but your mind is completely closed off and dead to God working in your heart or any kind of change. So in other words, you're dead or fallen asleep at that point, symbolically speaking, or if you're sick and ill, right? So sin, sickness, unhealth, I think what Lola's driving at, and I agree completely, Lola, with you, is that what Paul's talking about is if your heart motive isn't receptive and you're open to the Holy Spirit leading you, then you can still, what does what is it say in the New Testament? Um, in the last days, there'll be many who practice a form of godliness but lack any power. So we talk about Christians, people who go to church, they claim Christianity. Mm -hmm. But they're they're ill, they're sick, they're dead to any because because they're they still practice things of the world. They don't they don't actually implement anything in their lives or things in their lives that participate with the Holy Spirit. Do you think it's possible that this section could actually be literal? Like they're actually eating 
and drinking too much that they fall asleep. I think it's that they come to communion without the right right heart. They come they come to that that's you know where you're supposed to really focus on renewing yourself and aligning yourself with Christ and asking God into your heart. But yet they come to that incorrectly or they don't understand the gravity of what they're doing. So they don't they can't receive the blessings of it if they don't show up with the right heart. And so they short themselves by not doing so. They come to satisfy their physical hunger versus their spiritual hunger. Mm. And that's what you were trying to say. Something like that. Yeah. I, mean, I think we have physical implications when mentally or emotionally or whatever things aren't right. So why, I mean, it could, a part of it might be that they are actually physically sick or unwell due to their lack of of understanding how to properly participate in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that conversation we had the other day about the psychology of psychology of confession mm. this is the same thing with praying is that you keep yourself consciously thinking about what you're trying to do or what you're trying to be better at it's kind of kind of relates you guys know where I'm going with that anybody else So we can close this puppy up. Um, we like to pray us out. <laughs> of course, sure. <coughs> Shall we bow our heads? Father in heaven, Lord, thank you so much. The you know the study of this is very enlightening, Lord, and, and Lord, maybe maybe just listen to the Holy Spirit and change our lives and, and tune ourselves to you, Lord. Please come in, sweep out the cobwebs, and come live within us. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.